0: Good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. If you are using one of the Bibles that are on the benches, if you don't own one, you're, feel free to take that one home with you. We'd love to give that to you as a gift. But if you're using one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 151. I'm thankful that you are here this morning, this cold holiday. I think oftentimes uh, the flesh in us looks at the weather, looks at the day, on the calendar says, oh, I just don't want to go to church today, but I'm glad you're here because we truly believe that this one hour of the week is a large part of your discipleship process, that in this one hour a week where the saints of God gather together to sing God's Word to Him, to to pray, to read His Word aloud, to expound it in a sermon this one hour a week is a huge aspect of our growth as a follower of Jesus Christ so I'm, I'm glad you made the decision to to end your year in the worship of our one and true God. I also hope that your week was a good one. Um, I know we finished up our holiday travels this week. we spent a lot of time with family during the week and we took our last trip uh, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday where we all, all, six of us, loaded up in our van, and we hit the road, and we drove the three and a half hours to northeast Texas to visit my kid's great-grandmother and to stay in a cabin that their great-great-grandfather built for them. So it was fun just to make memories for them and in a house where there are so many other, other family memories. And even with all the good food, good family, good memories, you know what my favorite part was? This is rarely true, but my favorite part was the drive. This is why. I had three and a half hours, so seven hours round trip, seven hours of uninterrupted conversation with my wife. You know how rare that is with four kids in the house? It's, it's, it's amazing. But we had, we had seven hours to talk on the way there and back. And it's perfect timing because at the end of every year, my wife and I, we, we love resolutions. We love looking behind us. We love looking forward into the future. And so we always have this regular conversation we have year in and year out. Uh, We do different things. Like uh, the first thing we do is we we make a top 10 list, a top 10 list of things that happened in 2017. So we were able to talk about our son being born or about our other son starting pre-K or yeah, you know, just, just different things that we got to do together as a family, whether that be family vacations or concerts, and we, we make our top 10 list, and we're thankful for everything on there, and then we begin to ask more critical questions of like, well, what, what did we try this year that worked, and what did we try this year that didn't work, and how do we need to change this next year in order to, to have a stronger, uh, more committed family to Christ? And so we ask those good questions. So so needless to say, we we love the idea of of New Year's resolutions. And I think this isn't just because I like them, but I think to some extent they're biblical. Uh, And let, let me build my case for this. I think they're biblical because I think resolve is a part of repentance. Repentance is one of those things that we must do in order to be a follower of Christ. But repentance is this idea that we are sinning and we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ, and we try to follow His way. So I think in every act of repentance, there's a certain amount of resolve that has to play, take place that says, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to follow the world, the flesh, the sin anymore. I want to follow after Christ. And I think also many times throughout the Bible, we have these critical moments in Scripture where a leader in the Bible looks where the people of God have come from, and they look to where they are going. And that's our passage today in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're reading verses 4 through 9. But in this passage, in fact, this whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses giving his last will and testament. It's Moses, uh, his, his last words to the nation of Israel. They've been freed from slavery in Egypt. They've wandered in the wilderness under the discipline of God, and they're about to enter the promised land. And so Moses in Deuteronomy is reminding the people of God of where they have come from, and he's challenging them. He's calling them to be resolved to love God into the future. So let's look at our passage today, and I think we can pull out some different resolutions that Moses has given to his people, the Israelites, that are still very true. For us today. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4 going through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall ride them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Grace Bible Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you for what you have done in the past your wondrous works, your salvation, both to Israel and in our life through Christ, makes us look at you in awe. Father, may we not take lightly your work in the world, but may we give it the weight and the heaviness and the glory, Lord, that it deserves. May we, as a response to you, love you, and follow You, O Lord. Father, we pray for other churches in our community who are also at this moment opening Your Word. May You give them unction and utterance to proclaim Your Word and truth that Your people might hear and grow and believe and trust in You. Father, we pray for our government officials. Lord, we, we don't ever no matter who's in office, Republican or Democrat or, or other, we, we, never, we never expect them, Lord, to, to be a believer. But we know and believe that your grace can still have an effect on those people in office. So, Father, give us common grace to our leaders, that they might fear you, that they might know you, but, Lord, also that even if they don't, they will, they will rule rightly and with justice. Father, we pray for the church who are in parts of the world where where they do not have the freedom to worship as we do, but Lord, that they worship in secret with hushed voices, Lord, due to the persecution that they face. Give them the boldness and the faith, Lord, to live out their walk in those circumstances. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at our passage in Deuteronomy, I think we can see three different resolutions for people who love God. So if you love God, and I hope you do, Moses lists out in these few verses three different things that we need to be resolved to do. We need to be resolved to obey God's Word, we need to be resolved to treasure God's Word, and we need to be resolved to share God's Word. So let's go ahead and look at each of these three different resolutions. So if you truly love God, if you, if you long for Him, you love Him, you appreciate Him, your love is expressed through the obedience you have to His Word. We see this in verses 4 and 5 where He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. He's saying with all of you, you love God, and love is expressed in the Bible in obedience. It's one of the things I love about our church that Dave emphasizes, that I know Joey emphasizes with the youth, Neil emphasizes with, with the children, is that we cannot earn God's love or God's favor. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how obedient you are. You can't earn His grace in your life. But it's the truth in Scripture that God freely gives His grace to people. And so our obedience to God is not in the effort to, to, to garner His grace, to garner His forgiveness. It's already given to us. Our obedience to God is our expression of our love back to God. We see this very clearly in Deuteronomy. Remember, this, this is Moses' uh, remembrance of where they have come from. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, what Moses gives us is is a recitation of the Ten Commandments. He's reminding this new generation of the commandments that was given to the nation of Israel at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai. And I think, man, I think just as important as these commandments that he gives us is is the prelude to the commandments. He reminds us in the first few verses of chapter 5 that our God is a God who has revealed himself in smoke and fire to the Israelites. And then he goes on, before he gives us the Ten Commandments, he says this in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to the house of slave, out of the house of slavery. So what he is doing here is he's about to give the Ten Commandments, but before he gives the Ten Commandments, he reminds the people of Israel what he has done for them. He said, you were enslaved in Egypt, and I sent plagues upon the Egyptians, upon your oppressors, and I freed you. You were wandering in the desert for 40 years uh, due to the discipline you needed, and I provided for you. You didn't have to grow crops. I gave you food. Your shoes didn't wear out. I provided and I protected you. And God is saying, you are my people. I have chosen you. I have blessed you. And it's only at that point does the Lord give us his Ten Commandments to the house of Israel. you ever thought about that? That, that the Ten Commandments were not based on how we earn God's love, how we earn God's approval. God is saying, I've already given you my approval. I've already chosen you. You are already mine. So the Ten Commandments are not the way that we earn his approval, but rather the Ten Commandments are a way that we express our love towards God. So if we are appreciative, if we are filled with gratitude for what God has done for us, we express our love through obedience Jesus said it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. Obedience is is an overflow of love that we have for someone. And didn't Christ do this as well? He showed us his love before he called for obedience. He came. As a baby in a manger, he lived the perfect life. He he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He showed us his love on the cross by dying for our sin. So our obedience is not a way that we gain his forgiveness, but it's a way that we express our love towards him. I think if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are God's people, we must allow God's word. We must allow Scripture to speak into our lives to show us where we are not walking in obedience. Because what we tend to do oftentimes is not walk in obedience, but walk in certain areas of agreement. Let let, let me explain what I mean. I I said earlier I have four children. They're lovely children. God's blessed me with them. Uh, And I I think they're probably better than your kids, but I might be biased. Um, but, But anyhow, whenever I tell them to do something, sometimes it's obedience and sometimes it's agreement. So if I say, hey, kids, let's all gather around the TV and watch something on Netflix, man, they're there in an instant. There's no dragging of the feet. There's no moaning. There's no lamenting. They're there. Now, I could look at that and think, man, my kids are obedient. But is it obedience? No, it's, it's agreement. They like that idea. They're there with me. If I say, hey, guys, let's, it's, it's Texas. It's probably going to be 70 degrees tomorrow. Let's go on the back porch and eat ice cream. They're going to be there in an instant. Is it out of obedience or agreement? They're there because they want the exact same thing. They're there not in obedience but in agreement. But there are certain things that my kids don't want to do. So if I said, all right, kids, it's time to go to bed. It's time to brush your teeth and get ready for bed. That's where I can find out if there's true obedience because they don't want to go to bed. They don't want to brush your teeth, right? So... Oftentimes we do the same thing as followers of Jesus Christ. What we do is we look at the Bible and we find areas where we have agreement with God. We look at the areas where we are already following what the Word of God says, and we say, look, I'm obedient to God, whatever it may be. But what we don't do is we don't allow Scripture to speak into our lives to show us where we are not walking in obedience. So many of us, as Christians, we might walk in agreement with God in certain areas, but we don't allow the Word of God to speak into our lives to show us our disobedience. We confuse agreement with obedience. We're a lot like King Saul. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, we have a story of King Saul, not not the apostle who followed Jesus. This was centuries earlier, King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. King Saul was told by God to attack the Amalekites and to utterly destroy them. Take no prisoners, take no plunder, just wipe them out as their judgment of God. And so King Saul gathers the army of Israel. They go and they attack the Amalekites and they win the battle. And as Saul, after the battle, he starts looking around, he sees the quality of sheep that are there. He sees the strength of their oxen. He says, you know what? I, I don't think I want to destroy those. I, I think I'm going to take them back with me. So they load up their army with all the plunder from the Amalekites, and they are heading back home to Israel. And the prophet of God, Samuel, stops King Saul and says, Saul, what's going on? And Saul says, look, we've obeyed the Lord. We've done what the Lord has asked. We attack the Amalekites, and we wiped them out. And Samuel was able to look at King Saul and said, Then what is this that I hear but the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Who are these I see wearing chains that you're taking back to Israel? And Saul does what we so often do. We begin to justify our sin. Well, I know the Lord said to wipe them out, to destroy everything, to not take plunder, but we just took the very best of the sheep, not for ourselves, but so that we can sacrifice them to God. We took just a few prisoners to show Israel the strength of our God, and Saul begins to justify his sin. Isn't this what we do so often? We, we look at where we agree with Scripture, and we pat ourselves on the back because we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do and in areas where we disagree with Scripture and our life doesn't line up with Scripture, we begin to justify our actions. We justify our grumbling and complaining because the situation just demands it. We justify the lust that we might have because of the situation that we're in. We justify all of our sin because our situation is unique. That's not the way scripture works that's not the way we are to approach scripture but in the areas where our life contradicts what the law of God says what scripture says our response should not be to justify our works but our response should be to repent of our actions and to turn and walk in a new way I want to encourage you today to do to do that that introspection where you look in your life and you say, all right, what areas of my life am I in agreement with God? What areas of my life am I walking in what Scripture says? And I like it. But then also take the time in your life to ask yourself, in what areas in my life am I not following what Scripture says? Allow Scripture to speak into your life and allow your love for God to allow you to repent of it and to walk in a different way. To turn away from your sin and not justify it. I think one of the ways we can use this as a, as a tool is in Deuteronomy chapter five or in Exodus twenty. We do have the Ten Commandments. Maybe our, our exercise should be this afternoon. Uh, maybe maybe even over the dinner table to read over the Ten Commandments and to think about how are these commandments applied in my life. Am I honoring God with my words? Am I honoring his Sabbath by, by having private and, and public worship? Am I honoring my parents? Sometimes we think that this is just for our children. Like, well, you, you honor your parents. When you're, that's my favorite command uh, for my kids. Look, kids, it says honor your mom and dad. But it's also true when you're an adult. Are you honoring your father and your mother even as an adult? So you, you look through those commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. For areas in your life we are not following after what Scripture says. Repent of those and don't justify your actions. I think the next thing we see in our text today is that we need to be resolved to cherish God's Word. I have a hard time saying this, so I'm going to use the word treasure. We need to be resolved to treasure God's Word in our hearts. He says this here in verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart's Whenever Moses went up Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, to get the Ten Commandments, he brought them down, etched by the finger of God, onto stone to give to the Israelites. But even here, Moses is saying that the commandments of God etched on stone are not enough. That if we are to love God, we must treasure His words by holding them and keeping them in our heart. We see a beautiful picture of this in Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, uh, the psalmist has 176 verses about his love for the Word of God. I just want to read these with you. Uh, You can follow along if you want. The Pew Bibles, it's on page 512. Psalm 119, I'm going to be jumping around a lot, but uh, in order. This is is how the Bible describes how our heart and attitudes should be toward God's Word. Verse 1, Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart and do no wrong but walk in his ways. Verse 9, but how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 14, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things in your word. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments. When you enlarge my heart, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Verse 48 I will lift up my hand towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. And on and on, the psalmist goes 176 verses of his love for the word of God and how he longs to treasure that word in his heart. Colossians. Three sixteen, Paul tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. How I wish our love for God's word was a light to us. I was, I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, man, I, I wish it were. This is gonna sound crazy. I, I wish it were like the light pollution in Colleen. All right, and, and hang with me. I know light pollution's bad, but so, so it's a weird illustration. I grew up in Florence. Uh, my parents had 30 acres on top of this plateau. And at nighttime, you could look north towards Colleen and you could see the dome of light, which was Colleen. It was bright. Probably if you live in Gatesville and you look south, you might be able to see the same thing. But but I, now that I live in Colleen, it's a bit different. I, I can't see that the dome of light. I'm inside the dome of light. And I can, at night, turn off every light in my house. The darkest hour of night, turn off every light in my house, and I don't need a nightlight because the light from the city streams into my house and shows me every dark corner. I can see clearly. That's how much light there is in Colleen. And so this is what I'm saying. I wish the Word of God was so treasured in our hearts and so much like a light into our path that in the darkest hour of our lives we could still see clearly through the Word of God that its truth would still be a treasure to us and give us hope and give us direction. But so often, God's Word is neglected in our lives. It's probably one of the most common resolutions for every believer is to get back in the Word. And, guys, I encourage you, man, if, that, if that's your resolution for this new year, that's a good resolution. I support it wholeheartedly. But the old, the, the old idiom that says if you, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail is true even in reading your Bibles. So I encourage you, if that, if, if that is you, if you're saying, man, I need to get back into God's Word this year, make a plan. Make a plan on how you're going to approach God's Word. We have in the back uh, on the table underneath the clock and also by the offering box, we, we've placed a 2018 Bible reading plan. So if you like a hard copy of a Bible reading plan, th- that's one that we recommend. We also, one of the things that I love is, is the version Bible app for, for Bibles because they have thousands of bi- different Bible reading plans. And for my personality, that, that works better. Um, I, I'm not good at setting a year-long goal because I get discouraged and I forget about it, I need to be constantly reminded. So for me, the, the goals that work best are the, the short-term goals. So instead of saying, man, I want to read the Bible in, the, in, in a year, I say, all right, these next two weeks, I'm going to read the book of Genesis. And then at the end of Genesis, I can start a new plan. And having shorter goals for me works better than having one long-term big goal. So find out what works for you, but today, do, do it today. Make it your lunch conversation, saying, how are we going to treasure God's word today? How are we going to delight in it? How are we, he, he used these words of, of cling, delight, long. He says we pant for God's word in 119, that we run to, that we meditate on it. How, how are we going to do that this year? And I know for some of us that sounds so absolutely Foreign. And if we were to be honest, we would say, I, I don't delight in God's word. I don't treasure it. I don't meditate on it. And if that is you, I encourage you to begin with prayer. John Piper, in his book, uh, When I Don't Desire God, is the title of the book. In one of his chapters, he talks about how if, if that is where we are, we're at a point where we're not desiring God's word then what we need to do is we need to begin by praying God's Word. And he has a great little acronym. I love acronyms. He calls these acronyms the, the IOUs. Uh, I-O-U-S is the, is, is the acronym. And he, he has these different prayers that are in the Bible for us to pray. So if that's you, just, just write down some of these Bible references. Uh, the first one for I, incline my heart to your testimonies. Is sound in Psalm 119.36. O is open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. Psalm 119.18. You is unite my heart to fear your name. In Psalm 86.11. And S, satisfy me with your steadfast love. Psalm 90.14. I think if we are not in the mode where our heart is desiring God's Word, what we need is a change of heart. And a change of heart begins with praying to God for a new heart. So let's, let's do that. Let's pray these IOUs to incline our hearts, to open our eyes, to unite our heart, to satisfy us with God's Word. And I also encourage you uh, to memorize Scripture. This, this is one of those areas where, where I, I'm not the best at it, I, ha- I have to admit. Any, anytime I preach, most of the sermon is, sermon is directed at myself and my own failures. And, and this is one of those areas. I'm not good at memorizing. Uh, and I was convicted about this just a few weeks ago. We, we were having uh, Sunday dinner with, with my parents. Um, dinner, if you were raised in the country, is lunch. And dinner is supper. And lunch is dinner. It's confusing thing. Don't, don't worry about it. We were having the noon meal together, and all of a sudden, my little two-year-old daughter, uh, she's three now, but at this time, she was still two, just started quoting a memory verse. A little two-year-old daughter saying, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. And she said this. She said, let your moderation be known to all men. I thought, this girl doesn't even know what moderation is. And then she said, because the Lord is at hand, and she put her hand out there, and i thought like, well, that's, that's awesome, like, I didn't teach you this, where did you get this? But, but twice a week, she goes to a chapel with her brother and sister, and they recite their school's memory verse, and, and even only doing that twice a week, it, it solidified it in her brain, and she, she hid those words in there. I, I know you're saying, well, man, she's two or three, their brains, brains are like sponges, and, and, and ours are like rocks, man, I get that. But let that not stop us from trying. I I think a majority of the Christian life is just getting back on the horse. Isn't it? That we sin in our lives and we fall off from obeying the commandments of God. You know what we do? We repent and we get back on the horse. We try to start a Bible reading plan and we fail two weeks in. You know what we do? We get back on the horse. The Christian life is, is, is a life where we get back on the horse. So don't let, don't let this, well, man, I'm just not good at memorizing, stop you. If you fail, just get back on the horse. Keep putting the effort to treasure God's word in there. And then finally, we need to be resolved to share God's word. Uh, we see this in the last few verses in 8 and 9. You shall bind them. Uh, let me start in verse 6. Verse um, 6. And the words I command to you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice what he says here. If we love God, one of the ways that we show our love by God is by sharing God's word by sharing God's word to our children, and by sharing our God's word to our community. Notice what he says about your children. He's saying, share God's word with your children. Teach them. And not just teach them, it's teach them diligently. Brothers and sisters, we've got a great children's ministry. Neil Grogan does a great job with them. But if you are depending on a children's ministry or if you are depending on a youth ministry to be the primarily discipler of your children, know that it's not enough. If they come every week for an entire year, you know how much Bible they're getting? Less than 42 hours for an entire year. That's not enough to build a life of faith. They need more. And what Scripture is telling us is that the way that our children receive the Word of God is through parents pouring it into their lives. Notice how much he says, when you lie down, when you rise, when you are standing, as you are going along the way, you are pouring the commands of God into your children. You are, and I mean this in every sense of the word, you are indoctrinating them. You are giving them the doctrines of the faith. And it is our job as parents to do this. And if you are not. You can be assured of this. If you are not indoctrinating your children, if you're not, you not pouring life into your children, someone else is indoctrinating your children. Every time you set them in front of a TV, every time you hand them a book, every time they leave your house to go to an event, whether it be school or a library or a sporting event, your children are being told what life is about in this world that we live in today, you know it's not the faith. It is our responsibility as parents to teach our children the faith. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to encourage you to be the primary disciples of your children. I think that begins with having them in church. It is possible to raise a child in church from birth to 18 years old and to never have them in a church service in this room with you. Did you know that? That's not good. They need to experience the congregation, the people of God, lifting their voices in song. They need to experience the Word of God being read and expounded upon. It might look like they're just coloring pages, or writing notes, or twirling their mom's hair, but slowly, little by little, over the course of time, they are growing in their faith. Bring them here. Let them experience. Let them. They are part of the body of Christ. Let them join in with us, but also share with your children at home. We, we call it family worship at our house where uh, just about every night we read the Bible, we pray, we sing. We've done it long enough now where our kids hold us accountable. Uh, we've done it at a strategic time. It's right before bedtime, and so they don't want to go to bed. So they're like, hey, family worship. We, we're not there yet. Can't go to bed. But, but we do it right before bedtime enough to where now they hold us accountable for it. Find out what works for your family. It might be bedtime. It might be the breakfast table. It might be the dinner-slash-supper table, whatever you call it. But but find a time that works for your family and make sharing the commandments of God a priority. Ideally, and what we're longing for is for what happened with Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple later on, a pastor uh, in in Ephesus. And Paul, in 2 Timothy 2, Three says this to Timothy, he says, listen, the world, there's all sorts of deception out there, but you don't be deceived. Don't forget the word and the commandments which were passed on to you as a child. You know what's interesting? Timothy's father was a Greek who didn't know the word, who didn't know the commandments, but it was his mother and his grandmother who were Jews who taught Timothy the, the faith. Oftentimes, our men here they deploy. Sometimes we have families that that might be a single parent. Look to the example of Timothy, who though he did not have a father in the picture communicating the word, he had a mother and a grandmother who poured into him so much so that it was his foundation in life. Let's give our children a strong foundation. And finally, I'm going to say this very quickly. Those last few verses, he says, bind these words to your hand, between your eyes, write them on your gates, write them on your doorpost. Know that this is our outward-facing sharing, that when you go to work, when you go to school, are you sharing God's Word with other people? Let's, let's Just summarize it in this way. If, you, if, if your colleagues were to interview, if your classmates were to interview, And the interviewer to say, is is this person, are you uh, a a believer, a follower of Christ? Would they even know that you have faith in Jesus? And then if they said, yes, he talks about Jesus, would they then think that following Jesus is a good thing? Are you being a good representation of what a Christ follower is? Moses is telling us to be resolved to share God's word with our community, to take it with us wherever we go. And this should be a blessing to people and not a curse. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is my prayer today that we will be a people who are resolved to love God through obeying his commandments, through cherishing his word in our hearts, and through sharing his word. Let us stand and pray. Our Father, we we, we do thank you for your word that does give us light for this life to know how to walk. Father, may we treasure it in our hearts until that day that you come back to redeem us, to save us, and to establish your kingdom forever. Father, show us where we are lacking in obedience to you that we might walk in truth. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.